Our guest today has over 25 years of experience in information technology, training, and project management. She is noted for the caliber and creativity of her work as a technical workshop presenter and facilitator in professional, corporate, and government settings. Her commitment to impact the number of women who enter the field of technology is evident in her networking and academic activities. She provides leadership and oversight for the DC Area Women and GIS Group and DC Government Women in Technology Group, and is the chapter coordinator for Women in GIS, the international organization. From our nation's capital, I'm Melanie Lafine, and this is Tech Rebalanced. Welcome to Eva Reed. Eva Reed to Tech Rebalanced. Thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm very excited to be here. And we're so excited to hear your thoughts and opinions. So first of all, tell us about your current role. I currently work for the office of the Chief Technology Officer. It's DC's IT agency. And I am a senior analyst in the, or I should say on the data team. Uh, the data team, we do a lot of different things, and it sort of speaks to what the larger organization does, but basically the data team does anything related to data. So geographic information systems, business intelligence with Tableau, MicroStrategy, um, we do data curation for the districts. Um, it used to be primarily spatial, but that's sort of changing. And my focus has been on the GIS side of things. Um, I come from a spatial background. I've done GIS for a very long time. And I, while my role has morphed over the years, I started as a trainer and specifically training in geographic information systems or GIS. And my role has kind of morphed into some other things. Um, I am sort of the operations manager for the district's enterprise data inventory. And I still do training. I run the GIS training program for the district. And I also kind of do customer support, technical support, however you want to refer to it. Um, both internally and externally. That's awesome. That sounds like you do quite a bit there and wear many hats. Um, so how did you decide to take on a role like this? Well, I would love to say that it was a very specific thought process and, and journey, but it was more, I think a little bit of making some decisions, but also it kind of fell in my lap. <laughs> so, um, it's funny how often it happens like that, right? It's just no right place, it, right time. Pretty much, pretty much. I, um, so I've been in geographic information systems for about 25 years. I have worked in a variety of different scenarios. So I've worked in the private sector. I've worked in the public sector at different levels. So I've worked in local government, I've worked in state government, and I've worked in federal government. Um, I, yeah, I'm sort of not even sure how to answer the question, but I mean, literally I was doing one thing and I was not particularly happy. So I was kind of looking around and realized that there was this trainer opportunity and I've done a lot of other things in GIS. I've been a, a technician, I have been an analyst, I have been a manager, and then I thought to myself, hey, it would be really cool to train people to use GIS. I have got all this knowledge, so let me share it with other people. And this job just kind of fell in my lap. I was contacted by a, a um, I hate the word headhunter, but let's just use that word. Um, 
And they asked if I would be interested in the position. I interviewed. Um, the position actually ended up getting closed because it was originally a contract position and they had an FTE that they decided to open up a full-time employee position. And so I grabbed it. And I'm sure they're very thankful that you did. Well, I hope so. I am thankful that they, they hired me. So um, yeah, I mean, it worked out all around, I think. And it's been, um, it's been a really interesting time there. So what exactly besides, you know, your work, what exactly does the office of the CTO do? So the easy answer would be to say that uh, we are, we do technology for the District of Columbia. Really, we are made up of a variety of different departments that basically are responsible for developing and maintaining the district's IT and telecom infrastructure. So anything to do with computers, anything to do with telephones, anything to do with applications. So any agency that either develops or purchases applications, we help with that process of procurement. We can help with the process of managing and maintaining those systems. So it's really a wide variety of things. We do everything, as I said, from telecom to applications. We have a uh, digital inclusion initiative. We do citywide fiber, um, meaning like we put in fiber infrastructure, we manage that, uh, we do information security. And I mean, I could go on. <laughs> so Yeah, I mean, that's that's quite the list. Um, it yeah. sounds like you guys are kind of the, the boss of, of technology in DC. So well, that's very interesting. It's interesting. It's I would say it's kind of, yes, in some ways, yes. But in other ways, we really try to partner with other agencies. And um, so it's it depends. It depends. But I think it's a really neat mix of work. All of your previous skills are very relevant to your yes. role at the office of the CTO. Like yes. probably something you never thought you'd use again from 20 years ago pops up. <laughs> you know, it's... All the time. Yeah. <laughs> All yeah. the time. <laughs> Crazy. All right. So um, if you were given an extra half a million in your budget, how would you use it? I love, I love this question. Um, I could see so many things. Well, let me step back and say there are many things that we do well. Um, I think that one place that I would love to see our agency do better is actually in um, kind of professional development. And that, that could also incorporate to some degree personal development. And what I mean when I say that is we have, as an agency of the District of Columbia, we have a lot of opportunities for training classes and things like that. I mean, sort of the standard stuff that you would expect. So I can go and I can take a class in Excel or Access if I want to, or I can take a, um, uh, you know, sort of your standard uh, HR classes. And so that's great. And I think that's really important. But I think that there is a piece that is missing, which is more along the lines of how do I become a better, more effective, however you want to say it, employee, and how do I improve myself as a person so that I can, you know, maybe I want to learn how to interact uh, more fully with my colleagues, or maybe I want to, um, you know, maybe there's something that I'm struggling with at work, and it's not necessarily a, you know, I don't know this thing or this technology, but it's something that's important to my development as a person and as an employee. So I'd like to see more things happening in that vein. And that's how I think I would use that extra. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think super relevant to how a lot of people are thinking about kind of what's next for technology, especially around human-centered design and, you know, bringing the human back into the loop into things like artificial intelligence. Like, yes, we have the technology, but, you know, what does it mean if we aren't 
being human to each other. So I think that that's amazing. I think that that's absolutely great. And I know there's a lot of similarly minded people in the tech world, thankfully, that I think would agree very much with your assessment and would really appreciate how you'd spend your half million dollars. So that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I, yeah, I, I feel the same way. I feel like there are a lot of people thinking about that question and thinking about how do we do that. And um, I'm really glad to see that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So kind of on the topic of research, what are you researching right now? So uh, it's interesting. I, you know, part of me wants to say, oh, I'm thinking about these, you know, super new technology things. I tend to think a lot about the non-technical parts of technology, if that makes sense. Um, I am really interested in how we, again, kind of going back to this idea of how do we develop as people in technology, I'm really interested in how we build community in in technology. Um, And I think part of it is because you know, as a woman in technology, we're not necessarily, or we haven't been historically as visible in the community. And so one of my thought processes is around, you know, how do we build a community of women in technology that not only helps support us as women, but helps us to be a you know, larger part of the, the tech community, women, men, otherwise. Um, I, so that's one thing I'm, I'm thinking a lot about, I'm writing a lot about, um, trying to think about how to, um, you know, how to quantify this because it's there, you know, can, do we have numbers in some, in some ways? Yes. In some ways, no. So that's that, I think I would say that's probably the main the main thing that I'm thinking about, but I am also thinking about how do we, and off the topic of community, off the topic of women in tech, but I'm looking at how we, how we share information, how we share data, um, and how we communicate about data. Yeah. And again, I commend you on being so forward thinking because again, you know, a big, a big thing that we're trying to push with tech rebalanced is you're not, tech isn't just a bunch of programmers, right? Not only are we looking at diversity within, you know, skin color or gender or, you know, anything like that, but what are your skill sets that you're bringing in? Because to develop a full technical solution, a group of programmers isn't going to cut it, right? <laughs> At a minimum, you need business. Yeah, you need business <laughs> analysts and project managers, and you need people to think, how is this going to impact people? And, you know, it's, you bring up a very good point because we're talking about a lot of qualitative information, but trying to quantify it has always been, I think, a classical problem. You know, yeah. you want to show yeah. results, you want to show what's happening quantitatively, but the issues at hand are more qualitative. So, I think that, exactly. I think that's awesome. And honestly, if you have any great insights, please do share. Uh, Absolutely, I, I. That's my goal. I mean, that's that's another piece of this. Is again, as I said, like how do we communicate all of this? So absolutely, sharing is is really important to me because I think we are better if we have, you know, if we're sharing tools with each other. And tools aren't just software packages; they are data, and you know, again, the ability to communicate. Yeah, and that's so important in technology, and I think something so often overmissed, like overlooked, um, mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. in what is required in the technical world. So that that's Absolutely. that's awesome. So uh, moving on. So, do you think the tech scene in DC is growing? And if so, are there any suspe- specific sectors in technology or other industries? How do you see the t- the tech scene in DC right now? So I will say, I, I want to be able to tell you. Oh, I see you know, these things happening in these areas and, and whatnot. I, I know, though, that I'm very biased because of my focus on the things that I've been talking about, community, women in tech, that sort of thing. Um, I, I see a lot of um, reinvention happening. And 
I mean that kind of in a couple different ways. I see, you know, companies and organizations reinventing themselves. I think we're going to see this happening again in a big way as a result of the COVID situation, for example. Um, I think we're going to be thinking a lot more, you know, we've always thought about, you know, how do people telework and what sort of technologies exist around that. I think there's probably going to be a fairly big change because we're sort of, we're still using technologies that existed before all of this happened. I think that's gonna change. So I think that we're going to see people shifting into new types of careers that maybe don't even exist yet. I see businesses changing to accommodate new ways of doing business and that is going to require changes in technology. I, so yeah, I, I think also, well, I guess I'd leave it at that. Um, I, I just, I see a lot of reinvention coming. <laughs> it's always been a thing, but I think it's going to be a big, a big thing again. Yeah, I feel like tech is always reinventing itself in ways that have existed before, <laughs> if that makes right, sense. Right, right. Yeah, like, it's like, we figured this out, you know, you talk to people that have been in the industry long enough and they'll tell you stories from like the 80s and 90s. And, you right. know, at first you think, how is this relevant to today in 2020? But, you know, history tends to repeat itself, um, especially the humanistic aspect of it, right? And how do we implement things and how do new things come to light and what picks up traction? So, yeah, I think that that's, that's a really great perception that you have and um thank you for for sharing yeah, i know i think you have a unique view on on what's going on in the tech scene so that's great um so again changing tracks to talk more about your career um the favorite question that you know people either love or hate to answer but what are some difficult situations you've had to overcome in your career in technology and how did you overcome them Great question, and oh, so many stories. <laughs> um, that's either good or bad, I'm not sure, but- um, Right, life in the trenches and the war stories come ex out. Exactly. Um, I think, well, so one thing I was thinking about as you're asking the question is just the difficulty of asking for a promotion or asking for I guess I'm going to leave it at promotion because in, in my world, you don't really ask for a raise. That's not how it generally works in the government sector. Um, that it's an interesting thing because sometimes there's the question of like, do we even have budget for this? And I think for me too, though, even just asking that question was really difficult. Like, what do I need to do to make it to the next level. And I think the difficulty there is there isn't always a position available. And so I think coming to the point where I realized that as a person in technology, I was, you know, I was at a certain grade level and wanting to move up and not really sure how to do that. And ultimately it came down to just asking. And I use this example, not because maybe it's the best example of a difficult situation, because I mean, I could talk about all kinds of other stuff. Like I could talk about, you know, being a person of color in tech and navigating really strange situations because of that. But my point here is more about um, like having a conversation with someone that's really difficult and how do you approach it? And sometimes you just have to do it. And I think that, you know, even though this is a fairly basic example, I think that asking questions and asking the tough questions is really key in addressing difficult situations. Yeah. And I mean, it goes back to kind of what you were saying before about communication and technology. You know, so many of us technologists, I think it's a stereotype that has a reason. It's a stereotype in that we're not the best at communicating. Right, and right. Um, I also think it's it's probably been proven and shown throughout studies that women in particular tend not to ask for what they want. Right. You know, maybe they don't feel like they've earned it yet or it's just too scary. And I think 
uh, you know, you bring up a very, that is very difficult. And I think it's a difficulty that resonates with everyone, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's so that's, um, did you have any particular way you overcame it or did you just talk yourself up? You're going to do it. You're worth it. And, you know, start the conversation or what, Honestly, what some- that's kind of what it was. Um, I remember having heard a piece on NPR and I, I've tried to find it again and I've never been able to find it, but it was a professor talking about his students and he was in tech um, and his talking about his, I think he was talking about women in his class in particular. Um, and he was just saying, you know, I, I talked to the, I talked to all of my students I, and, and I hear from the women that they don't feel comfortable speaking up and don't feel comfortable asking for X, Y, Z, whether it's a promotion or whatever. Uh, and he just said, he's like, you really have to toot your own horn. And um, I guess that's kind of where it started. And it really was just talking myself into the place where I could just do it. And to realize that the worst that could happen was no you know, no, we don't have it. No, we can't do it for X, Y, Z reason. Um, so yeah, I, I think it really was just talking myself into, the, into doing it and, and, and being okay with whatever the outcome was. Um, I think that, you know, I, I'm also thinking as I say that, I'm thinking about another situation where I had been the lead on a project and not gotten recognition. Like there was a published um document that went out and my name wasn't on it even though I was the lead on the project and some other people were listed and it happened to be all men and I again had to talk my you know my first question it was so stupid I was like this must be a mistake and I talked to a couple other people and they were like, yeah, it must have been a mistake. And then I, you know, I was like, my initial reaction was to leave it. And I said, no, I was the lead on this. And this has relevance to my career. And I'm going to do something about it. So I, I took myself on a, a walk because I was a little angry. <laughs> and then I went and I spoke up. And I really think that talking yourself into a place where you know, again, that, I mean, the worst that could have happened in that situation, which would have really been bad for me, um, you know, I wouldn't have died. No one would have gotten hurt, really, physically. But the worst that would have happened is they would have said, we're not going to fix it. And I would not have been okay with that, but, you know, that would have been an answer. And as it turned out, um, someone, I don't know that it was a mistake, but someone did not do what they should have done and it did get fixed and, and we moved on from that. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's um, talking yourself up into doing something, but also recognizing that you deserve something. I think in both of those cases, I very much deserved what I ended up getting. And the only reason I did get it was because I asked and because I, I made it clear what my expectations were and why I felt I deserved the thing. Yeah, I think the communication skills you have really go a long way. And, you know, self-advocacy, right? Like, you need to speak up for yourself and your interests. And it can be so hard. But I honestly feel like the more times you do it, the easier it gets. The first couple times are really rough and it probably never really evens out, but you know, practice makes perfect. I think with, with self-advocacy there. Absolutely. And it, it doesn't, I think it never gets easy, but it gets easier for sure. Yeah. And I'm sure going on that walk really helped as well to clear your head. Just oh, doing yeah. something <laughs> that was nothing to do with what it was in front of you. Yeah, the walk was pretty critical in that whole situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so kind of f- flipping the discussion from the most difficult situation, what has been the most rewarding project that you've worked on so far? So I have 
two answers to that. The first answer is with my role at the CTO, um, CTO's office. I have been leading, as I mentioned, the district's enterprise data inventory initiative. Um, I am not the, well, I'm not even going to say that. I, as I mentioned, I, I manage the operations, which means that I helped to get the, well, I basically made sure that the application got built. I did not do the building because I am not a programmer, but I, I was the manager for that. Um, and then I also basically make sure that agencies are inventorying their enterprise data sets. And these are basically structured data sets that you know either are measuring or counting or um, tell us something about a program. And I guess if people are, would like more information, they can look at the district's data policy because it's all spelled out there what that is. Um, but I basically make sure that we get the process done and it's an annual process and sometimes it's crazy and we're working right up to the last minute. Um, but my role means that I'm doing all the day to day and reporting up to my manager who is the program manager for the um, data visualization team. And he's responsible for this to the, the chief data officer. And it's been an extremely rewarding process because it is um, sort of multidisciplinary. It requires a lot of different skills. It requires communication. It requires organization. But also, I get to see that people are using the information that we collect, and they are able to do good work because of what we are doing. They might not like the whole inventory process, but they do it, and then they are able to benefit from that. So that would be project number one. Um, I would say that the other thing that I am really proud of is so so my day job is with the with the office of the chief technology officer but I also have my own business and I am a um, I, I'm a coach for women in technology and I in that business I do a number of different things I do some life coaching I do some um, career coaching but I have been building networking events for women in tech in the DC area. And I'm really proud of that because there was, a, it started out in the GIS community and there was definitely a lack of place for women in the field to connect. And it kind of extended then, I have another, I have two groups. So one is women in GIS and then the other one is um, what used to be district government women in technology and has kind of morphed into something a little bit larger, but I'm really proud of those two things because it's easy to say, hey, let's do a happy hour, but it's another thing to make that consistent and to connect people and get people talking to each other and actually having some impact on the community. So I am also extremely proud of that. Yeah, for good reason, right? I mean, you're directly impacting your community and elevating people around you. That's amazing. Thank um, you. Yeah, it's, it's, it makes me, I mean, I can see, I can see that it has had impact and that's, that's really motivating for me. So with all of your free time, which I'm sure is so much, um, <laughs> how do you continue to learn and stay on top of things for all of your roles? A great question. And yes, it is challenging sometimes. <laughs> um, I, there are a variety of ways to do this. Um, I think one thing that's really important is I network outside of my own groups. That's pretty critical. Um, so I try to connect with groups like Tech Rebalanced and uh, you know other groups in the in the area. Um, I also 
recently joined a group out of uh, Richmond called Fab Women. And I actually did a really great workshop. Um, we co-facilitated a workshop with uh, the woman who, who runs Fab Women. Um, I do a lot of reading. Well, I say a lot. It feels like a lot. It's probably not as much as it could be, but um, I, I read and I try to um, I try to read things that other women in tech are writing. I stay active on LinkedIn. That's been really important, um, and I think that's so helpful in terms of understanding the as we, you know, as we were talking about before the, the tech scene in DC and, and the wider tech scene as well. Um, so, you know, it's kind of just staying in contact with people, reading about what's going on, um, you know, reading things like Forbes and some of the other things that are out there. Just trying to stay in touch, I guess, not trying to stay on top of, I don't want to say that because I feel like that's a a losing cause, but staying connected and, and staying in touch with what's going on. Yeah, and that can be a job in and of itself, I feel like, especially highlighted recently with COVID, you know, staying mm -hmm. connected with everyone, staying connected with what's going on in the world. And, you know, it's, it can be very difficult. So that's, that's awesome. I think that's some really good advice for the rest of us too. It's, you don't have to, especially like how you said, it's not staying on top because you're right. We're going to lose that battle, especially for someone as busy as you, you know, it just, <laughs> it, it's going to be, you know, nighttime. And then you realize, okay, now you have free time to do what you want to do, but actually you have to sleep because you're a human being. You know? Exactly. <laughs> Funny that. Yeah. Funny how that comes up so often. Right. Um, so you know, we kind of have been talking about technology and, you know, we just mentioned connecting uh, or, or communication and, you know, where the role of communication within technology. And we kind of talked about it before, but a lot of technologists truly do have an issue with effectively communicating their thoughts, opinions, feelings. So do you have any, any tips? I know that this is probably something that you talk through in, um, in your business. So what advice would you have to those who struggle with communication? So my gut response is kind of flip and I'm going to say hire someone who can. <laughs> um, That's totally acceptable. You know, we all have different <laughs> skills and I know people who are so fluent in Java or Python, they, they just write these beautiful scripts and then, you know, you ask them about it and they freeze, but obviously they know what they're doing. It's just, you're not exactly. speaking their language. Exactly. So, yeah. I mean, that's a totally good, <laughs> totally <laughs> unexpected, but good answer. Um, you know, get someone who's good at communicating and, you know, that's kind of to our previous point, it opens up you know, the different kinds of roles in technology. Again, yes. communication is an important role in technology. Yes. And I think, how do I say this? I, yes, I agree. And it's funny because I remember when I was hired for this position and my boss said something to the effect of, we really need someone on our team who can do what you do. And I sort of thought to myself, I was like, well, everyone on your team can probably make maps. And he said, no, we need people who can communicate and people who are comfortable standing up in front of a group of people and just talk about something. Um, so again, I was being a little flip, but I think it is really important. I think it's important when you are hiring a team that you think about, as you say, we need the programmers, we need the people who can design, you know, a beautiful application, but we also need people who are able then to take that and train people how to use it and talk to people about why this is important and, you know, really meet people on their level. And so in some ways, it's kind of like communication or interpretation or translation, whatever, you know, however you want to present that, but I think it's really important. And then I would say uh, sort of the, the second answer that I would give you is 
It's not to say that someone can't learn how to do it. And I think um, one of the things that I've seen, um, uh, I think it's, I can't remember which SUNY campus it is, but Alan Alda has a center for communication and I'm blanking on the, the exact title of it, but their goal is to teach scientists how to talk about the science to lay people. That's the whole purpose of their organization. And I think that that is something that I would love to incorporate into my half a million dollar budget for personal development. Like how do we teach tech people to communicate with non-technical people? Because I think some of it is definitely teachable. I think people can learn how to do it to some degree. They may never be an expert at it, but I think we can teach people to do a better job or help people to learn how to do a better job. I think I like that the way, I like that way of saying it better. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, you know, it isn't the, you can communicate or you cannot. Everyone is on a path, right? Exactly. You know, it's, you know, even the most eloquent speakers sometimes they need time to think about their answers you might catch them off guard and you know that's an entirely different part of speaking than just being you know being able to communicate is such a vague term so it definitely is a spectrum so that's exactly. i think that's a really great way of putting it uh moving on and i know we've kind of talked about it through through the course of this interview but you know impacting the number of women and other underrepresented genders and sexualities in technology is you know, something everyone wants to do. So how how do you, I know you do work. So tell us how, what have you done? How do you work to improve these numbers? It's a multi-prong process (laughs) Um, or approach, I guess I should say. Um, So one of the things that I have done both formally and informally is mentoring. I think that's really important. Obviously, I also do, you know, I I facilitate these networking and and connection events. I have started, I guess not, well, more than started, but I'm, I'm writing a lot about things that are relevant to women in technology. Um, creating visibility, just, you know, connecting people with each other. I think that's really important as well. And I guess, you know, all of that to say that, you know, we talk about how do we get women and underrepresented genders into technology. The getting people in is great. And I think that's super important, but I think keeping people connected and, and engaged and excited about the field is also really important. And so that's something, all of those things that I'm doing do in, in, the, in the vein of, of impacting numbers. So my goal is not just to increase the numbers coming in, but also to increase the numbers staying in the field. And, you know, certainly there are reasons why people leave the field that have nothing to do with the field themselves. I mean, you know, um, people decide to take uh, family leave. They might decide to, for, you know, any number of reasons. I, you know, always have in the back of my mind that at some point my mother, who, you know, is older, she's at some point going to need care. And I will probably be the person to do that because I am an only child. So, you know, there's, there's certainly a reason I might leave and, and either not come back or not come back for a while. But I think that there are also other things that we can do to help support people who are considering leaving. And maybe it's a question of just, hey, there are a hundred other people in your neighborhood that are doing the same thing. And I'm using the word neighborhood kind of loosely here. Um, Or, you know, hey, we, there's been a, uh, I guess it was kind of last year and and recently there was a big move to try to get uh, childcare at tech events. And I think that's really important. That's huge. Uh, Childcare, elder care, uh, all these things. And so my goal is to, you know, again, mentor people, 
to help them stay in the in the community. Uh, I want to connect people to each other and help them mentor each other because I think that's you know mentorship is such an interesting and, and complex thing. Um, and I want to help people stay, or not even stay, but I want to help connect people with the resources that they need. Uh, I think that's going to be critical to keeping women in technology. Yeah, I definitely agree with with everything you said, obviously. Um, it, and I think you bring up a good point. It's not just getting them in the door. It's getting them to stay. And you're, you're totally right. Some people do leave the industry for personal reasons or whatever reasons that have nothing to do with the industry. But again, there is a point to be made that there is a rate of burnout and there is a rate of dropout for, Mm -hmm. you know, underrepresented groups in particular. And I I think you made some good points in talking about how do we keep people? That's just as important as getting them in. And then even to that extent, how do we promote them? How do we get them into leadership positions? Exactly. Exactly. you know, that brings me to my, to my next question. Um, so what do you think are like the really big blockers there? So, you know, not only from getting into the door in the technology field, but like rising up, you know, it's, it's a pretty well-known problem that we don't have a lot of underrepresented groups in race, in gender, in sexuality, sitting Mm -hmm. in the C-suite, right? So what, what are these blockers? Why is this happening? I think one of the things. And this is partly because it's on my mind because I literally just wrote an article for technically about this, but I think inclusion is really important. Um, We talk about diversity and we talk about hiring, you know, different people for roles. And we talk about achieving parity for whatever group we're talking about. But again, once people come in, do they feel engaged and do they feel connected to the community? And so in this case, the community that we're talking about is leadership, C-suite, whatever you want to call it. You know, do we, do we see people like us in those roles? Do we feel like the organization actually cares about us as people, as people of the particular group. I think that's really key in in getting people to stay. And I think so sort of to better answer, better or more specifically answer your question, I think not seeing people that look like us is a big block. I think that not having or an organization, if they are not trying and making actual efforts, visible and maybe quantifiable as well, efforts to be inclusive, I think that, you know, if that's not happening, that's why I'm not going to join an organization. That's why I'm not going to stay in an organization. Um, I think too, I'm not I'm not even going to say particularly for women, although I I think looking, if you look at the numbers, you know, women, and I'm hesitating even to to make this statement, but, you know, having childcare available is really good for everybody. Um, It tends to affect women more, but I think it affects everybody. If we don't have organizations that have either childcare onsite or provide benefits so that people can take advantage of that, that's blocking people from joining those organizations. I look at it again, I don't have kids, but I have an older parent. And if I'm in an organization that is not going to help support me in taking care of my older parent, and I'm not asking someone to like come with me and, you know, help my mom. But if my organization is not providing me some sort of benefit, family leave, whatever the situation I'm not going to be able to participate in that organization at some point. So I I think, you know, I I think those are all things, the inclusion, the offering opportunities for support. uh, I think also visibility, just, you know, can I see people that are like me? Just those things, if those aren't there, 
that is going to keep people out of the field. It also, you know, everything you're saying goes back to even what you were saying to earlier questions and like what you're interested in researching. It all comes down to connecting with each other as human beings. And I think the more we see mothers, the more we see children with elderly parents, you know, I don't think of my coworkers as children, right? But they are, they are, they are someone's kid. And it's an inevitability that all of us are going to have older parents one day. And, you know, the more connections we make and the more understanding and communication we have around these, it's so important. And it's interesting because it's almost like the answer to all of our problems is just understanding each other better and communicating better. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I I mean, it it feels like it could be so simple. It could be so simple. And, you know, even, um, you know, looking at leadership positions and things like that within companies, I, I feel like, and I don't know if you agree, a lot of it is, you know, people will speak up for their own networks, right? You're going to, you're going to promote someone that you've worked with that, you know, and it's because you've made that connection already. And I think what you were talking about with inclusivity and things like it all comes back down to how are we going to, you know, storm the leadership positions? Well, we have our network and we get into the network and we have people speaking up for us because we made that connection. So I think it's very interesting that the theme of connectivity has really woven into so many of your responses because, and it's so true. And of course you're researching it and being proactive. So I, I, I think that's so awesome. And then well, hopefully someone you. will give you half a million dollars too. <laughs> pursue you know what? This, I'm on problems. board with this plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So one last question, and it's a little bit different than what we've been talking about and more, um, you know, kind of time sensitive with what's going on in the world today. You know, mm-hmm. there's a big movement, a big anti-racist movement. The Black Lives Matter movement is mm-hmm. is really blowing up. And what I think a lot of people would like to know is how can we use technology? How can we use our skills around technology to to aid this fight, to stop this pandemic of racism? Do you have mm-hmm. any ideas? I have so many thoughts on this. (laughs) Um, I'll distill it kind of down to two things. I think that um, I'm going to, so social media is what it is. I think that social media has been very important in this and I think it will continue to be. So I think I would like to see a social media platform or group of platforms that is, I don't know how to say this. I'm just going to say it better than Facebook. Um, it's there's not, a lot of problems with Facebook for sure. It's yeah. You know, and there's and I, I well-documented wanna, problems with Facebook. Agree. Right. And, and I, you know, I don't want to say that it's, horrible and and it shouldn't exist because I don't think that's true but I think that gosh with all these really smart tech people and tech people of color people of color and tech I don't know how you want to say that but um we've got to be able to come up with something better (laughs) or something adjacent that can support people and connecting with each other. Again, you've said it, I've said it, I'm all about connection. I'm all about getting people to be able to communicate. And I just, I feel like social media could be so good. And I I feel a little bit bad for specifically focusing on Facebook because we could talk about a number of other organizations. But I I think, I'm not directly answering your question because I think it's a really huge question, but I think that there has to be something around social media that we can do that is better. And I feel like we're smart. We should be able to figure this out. The other thing that I will say that doesn't directly address it, but I think is in some ways maybe more important, but I think that Companies like Diversified Tech, for example, and I don't know if you're familiar with the website. Um, I think that's such a good place for us to do work. And 
what I mean is Diversify Tech, diversifytech.co. Um, it's a great website. It's a collection of resources for underrepresented people in tech, um, women, uh, people of underrepresented genders, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think that's a really good model for other things that we could be doing. And I don't exactly know what that looks like, but I just think, I just think that that is such a good way to think about it. Like, it's not that, I mean, it sort of goes back to this whole, like, you know, Black Lives Matter. Um, it's not that we're not trying to raise up the whole profession, but we know that there is a place where we need to make changes. And I think that's something that we should be focusing on. And I think that website does it really well. I think we could do more of that um, as, a, as a community. And honestly, as you were talking, I signed up for the newsletter because I was so Excellent. impressed with this website for diversifiedtech.co. <laughs> um, so there's a newsletter you can sign up for. It's super easy if you're lazy like me. That's um, pretty awesome. Okay. It's, yeah, it's great. And the woman who runs it is, is really great as well. I've met her a number of times at different events and she's just a generally lovely person, but also clearly very passionate. That's, that's so important. And I think it, it comes across in just the very little that I've looked at diversify tech, but <laughs> um, that's, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, we've come to the close of our interview and I just want to thank you again for all of your wonderful insights. It was wonderful to connect with you and, you know, share your thoughts and, and feelings and opinions. Um, it was, it was really great. So thank you. Do you have any final thoughts? I just want to thank you right back. I, this was such a pleasure to chat with you. I feel like, you know, we've learned, well, I, you've probably learned <laughs> a lot about me. I, I feel like this was such a really wonderful opportunity for so many reasons. And I really appreciate the conversation and just getting to talk about things that I get really excited about. I'm so happy we get, could give you the opportunity. All right. Thanks again. Thank you. interested in learning more email us at team at techrebalance.org or visit us at techrebalance.org and tech rebalanced on patreon